Hi, everyone. Welcome to Resourceful Humans. I am Corey Haber, your host, and I am here today with Tim and Lindsay. Uh, we're going to discuss disabilities in the workplace, which I think right now is really interesting and top prevalent topic to this virtual world as well. So if you'll take a minute, Tim uh, and Lindsay, introduce yourself. Let's hear a little bit of your background and you know, why this is a topic you find you're so passionate about. Uh, Lindsay, you want to go first? Sure. Um, my name is Lindsay Crean. I am a district supervisor um, at Enable FedCap. I've been there for about eight, going on nine years. Tim, um, the other panelist, actually hired me. So he really got me into this profession and mentored me and, and really was an excellent leader. Uh, I started as a job coach. So a job coach is someone that helps people on the job site, someone with disabilities on the job site learn a task help communicate with management. And then I decided that I really liked finding people jobs. So I became a job developer. So that's actually working with people during interviews, going on interviews with people, practicing interviews, and also working with employers to connect them with employees. And I've been doing that for about six years. And over that period of time, I placed about 350 people in jobs with disabilities. And um, during that time, I also obtained my master's degree in leadership in public administration. And I am just, I love my work, the line of work I do. It's absolutely so rewarding and it's just, it's a great thing to do. So thank you for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited. And I'm uh, Tim Lorenzo. I'm the HR director with Sordoni Construction. I've been working uh, HR for about six, seven years now. Before that, Lindsay and I worked together. I was in the social service supported employment for people with disabilities for about 10 years. So I had the opportunity to, to work with a lot of great people, both the staff members and the individuals that we served and left my job in good hands with Lindsay taking over. So <laughs> something I really enjoyed though. Yes. And you know, the reason I said that I think it's pretty prevalent to this virtual world is just all in general, I think employers are learning more how they need to make accommodations for employees, whether they have a disability or they don't, just because things have changed so much. They're working from home. But let's start off with, you know, why hire someone with a disability? Because I think that's a, that's a question that a lot of employers would like to hear an answer to, your opinion, and kind of how, how can it be beneficial to the employer? Well, absolutely. It's a great question, Corey. And there are so many benefits to an employer. Um, one of the benefits is that they bring in a different type of talent sometimes to the, the workplace. So they, sometimes someone on the autism spectrum, maybe their brain really focuses on details. Well, they could be a genius on, in different areas of the workplace and focusing on different details or someone might think more creatively. Also diversity in the workplace. Uh, they, they, they really bring a lot of joy to other employees at their workplaces. And they really bring a lot of joy to the employers. They tend to be very dedicated, reliable. They pride themselves on their work. It's really an independence thing with them. And I just, it offers so many benefits to everyone involved, the community, as well as a tax credit, the employers are, you know, able to get when working with someone with a disability. I would add on to that as far as why include someone with disabilities in your workforce. I think for the same reason you'd include anybody in your workforce, because there's no point in screening people out 
when the more people you're open to, the more diversity, the more candidates you're open to, the better shot you have of finding the right candidate for the job. Anytime you predetermine who should or shouldn't be there, you're missing out on potential talent. And that is always a mistake from an HR standpoint. So I would say as far as, I agree with a lot of what Lindsay said, but I also think that just opening up your talent pool as much as you possibly can, always being willing to bring on the right person for the job, regardless of disability or any other diversity that they might bring to the table, I think is crucial. And I think that it sends a good message to your employees when you're inclusive and when you treat people right and when you have different types of people in your job place. Yes, as well as sends a good message to the community as well. And it just sends a good message to to everyone and and sends hope to parents, parents of kids that may, you know, just start, you know, having evaluations and maybe really nervous about what's going to happen to their kids down the line. There are so many employers that are are willing to, uh, not willing to, but work with anyone with a disability or anyone without a disability. Um, it's just like Tim said, it's, it's why, yeah, he, like he said, why, why not? Why not? Right. And, and uh, I think it's important to point out that I, the reason we're having this conversation is unfortunately the reality is there are lots of employers out there that do not hire someone because they don't want to have to make the accommodations for that person when that person may not even need that many accommodations or if any at all. But the assumption is that because they have a disability, they will need accommodations, but you know, now that we're having to make accommodations for people in general because of their home situations or they might have kids or they're working from home, I, I, I do think it's important to know just how, how we can make those accommodations for each person individually. But by making those accommodations, I think there can be an advantage to having someone with a disability or can having a disability be an advantage for the employee? You know, what are some examples that you've seen as to how this can be um, an advantage for the employee and the employer? Yeah, I think, I think it definitely can be an advantage. I think the first thing employers need to remember in hiring a person with a disability is you're hiring somebody who can complete the essential functions of the job. Nobody is looking for you to have a charity case where you're hiring somebody who cannot do the job. And I think that's the key. And I think that's what scares a lot of employers of how do I create something that I don't need or how do I take a job that needs to be done and give it to somebody who can't do it? That's not what anybody's asking you to do. And I think when you realize that you're hiring a capable employee who can handle the essential job functions, the accommodations become much easier. Accommodations are not always expensive. They're not always needed. Sometimes it's just a matter of treating somebody with respect if there is a disability. So I think that people sometimes underestimate the importance of just treating somebody well, treating all of your employees well. Accommodations, I think everybody has this image of, I have a little mom and pop shop and I'm expected to build an elevator now. That's not what happens, that's not realistic. And I've seen some accommodations that were very minimal I saw somebody with uh, some visual impairment and, uh, you know, large screen computer monitor. These aren't real expensive. These aren't a big fix. Somebody who has a hearing disability, uh, you know, there, there are different ways to get around this. There are caption phones out there. As far as somebody bringing a different skill set, 
with different abilities, different situations, you have inherent skills. There are some people for whom routine is ingrained in them. If perhaps somebody on the Asperger spectrum might view something, if work time is nine o'clock, it would bother them because you don't get to work at 9.05 because work begins at nine. It's easier to take somebody who has that ingrained in them of you show up on time because that's when you start than it would be to take somebody for whom time is not important and convince them that it should be. So I think that's where the natural advantages come in. Right, right. Absolutely, Tim. And, and especially with the routine and the time, um, I actually have the majority of my clients now are not physically disabled. I think we're going to touch on that later, but they're not. And a lot of them have, let's say, anxiety, which is so prevalent now, and so many people are affected by that. They may be nervous to answer the phone, or they may be nervous to, you know, set up the interview. So we're there to work with the employer and the employee to kind of prep them up to get the confidence to start that first step of connecting with the employer. And then we're there in the background. We're not visible to the employer a lot of times, or we're offsite. But we're there in case we, there were needed. So we're completely a free service and we're a huge support to both the employer and the employee because the employer does feel safe co contacting us and say, you know, John Smith, for example, is having an issue at work. Can you kind of come in and, you know, help communicate and facilitate um, a meeting between us? So there's been plenty of times where we've really helped people maintain employment. And I think the employers that we've worked with, some of them have been actually very appreciative appreciative of that. And I, you bring up a good point, Lindsay, because I do think it's important that we discuss the difference between physical and invisible disabilities. And also another reason I think that this is important on this episode is because I do feel like a lot of the reason assumptions are made by employers that someone might need more accommodations than they really actually might need, or they're not gonna be able to do a certain job because of something they might have wrong with them. Uh, it's truly just lack of education on that specific disability. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I think that as far as the, uh, the unseen disabilities, there is an education level necessary. And I think the biggest thing people need to understand is that you do not cure a disability. You do not take somebody who has anxiety and tell them, well, stop worrying so much. Because that's pretty much the same as telling the person in the wheelchair, well, why don't you just walk around? Right. It is something we learn to deal with. We figure out coping mechanisms. We figure out ways to handle things. But it is inherent. It is something real. It is something that exists. And when you learn to accept a person, disability or any personality traits that we might have, when you learn to accept somebody for who they are, and stop trying to figure out how to fix who they are, you're gonna have a much better relationship in every aspect of life. Yes, absolutely. Can you it's both- so important with... Oh, go ahead, Lindsay. No, it's so important today with everything going on in society, everyone's becoming more open, there's more you know, labels and, and you know, disclosing things and not disclosing things. I think it is a, a, cult, a culture that's changing towards acceptance. And I think that we all need to, like Tim said, uh, move towards that and accept everyone who, as who they are, whoever they are in, in the workplace or in society um, in, as a whole. 
can you give me uh, at least three examples of invisible disabilities versus physical? So everyone can kind of have an idea that's listening of what you're considering to fall under each category, even though okay. they are a little self-explanatory. Right. So I'm gonna go, go move forward and talk about invisible disabilities for, for a moment. They are the most prevalent. Um, they can be as simple as a learning disability. Um, that's one of one big one. Um, it, you could uh, have anxiety or bipolar disorder. They are typically managed under medicine, so you may not even know at all if you're talking to the person if they have that. Another one could be diabetes. Those are all types of disabilities that, um, that we, we, we tend to see um, in this work, workforce right now. Those are three. And I think I mentioned this to you that I have epilepsy and, yes. and it almost, I don't know which one it would fall under because since I take medicine and you would never know just because it's controlled with medicine, it's somewhat invisible, but yet right. if someone were to have a seizure in the workplace, it's a physical disability. Very true. Very true. And then Tim, do you want to talk about the physical? I mean, the visible disabilities, obviously, if somebody uses a wheelchair, if somebody has Down syndrome, they're often physical traits associated. Um, somebody who is blind, you're going to see signs of these obstacles. And I think that the challenges are different. Obviously, the one that gets taken away is there's really no need to discuss disclosure if you're at a job site and you're using a wheelchair, you really don't need to have the conversation with the employer if I need to tell you I use a wheelchair because they will be aware of that. I think that sometimes people will start to prejudge what a person who looks like this can and can't do. And I think that's a habit people need to get out of. I also think that one of the things from an HR standpoint is you need to be truly aware of what your essential job functions are. Are your essential job functions able to be met? Somebody who uses a wheelchair, for example, if you are doing filing and some of the filing is located on a top cabinet, this might be one of those easy accommodations where you need a, a different shaped file cabinet. Right. Easy enough. Or maybe there's certain files that you ask somebody else to help out with when they have an opportunity. But I think that you want to be careful not to say, well, if you can't reach the top cabinet, you can't file for us. And I think that's the area that people need to be aware of. I know I have been pleasantly surprised sometimes with some of the capabilities of the people I've worked with, where I've learned not to just assume who can do what and base somebody on what they look like. I had a gentleman I worked with years ago with Down syndrome. And he was working at one of the supermarkets and he was using all sorts of equipment that was, I probably would have chopped my fingers off using it. And he had it down. I mean, he really knew his stuff, followed every safety protocol and did extremely well with it. And it kind of reminded me of exactly what I tell other people. Don't think you know what somebody can do just by looking at them. That's why you hired me, Tim. <laughs> And I think that happens all the time. I mean, the fact that, I, I mean, I know this for a fact that doctors a lot of times will even try to prepare their patients for applying for jobs. And just by saying, don't mark that you have a disability, 
before you actually get to the interview on the application because they already know that a lot of times that person has passed over for that reason, even though we're not supposed to do that, it happens because they prejudge what that person is capable of. And you know, I think that, you know, I know you both gave a lot of good examples of maybe how someone with autism or on the spectrum could even be more successful in a position versus someone who doesn't have it. And like I mentioned, you know, I had that story that we mentioned where uh, there was a company where I grew up that lost all of their files, all their client information due to uh, just a tech glitch. Their whole system went down. They moved everything electronically. They had one employee uh, who had autism and actually was able to re-input all of the information because they had memorized every client's name, number, address, all the notes for each client. So, you know, that if they hadn't had that employee, they would have lost everything. I mean, they are, they really have incredible minds with a lot of them and it, more, I mean, they can do so much more sometimes than the, than the person that doesn't, that's not on the spectrum. So I, I do think a lot of employers don't realize that. And that's, I think, a very uh, common disability for employers to see, or, you know, not even, some of them don't even realize. But right. it, I think also, Corey, you're right. I mean, a lot of, a lot of time, it, like employers have time lost because a lot of employees now they're very social. They're on social media. They're, they're they're losing company time. But someone, you know, with autism or on the asper on the autism spectrum, they come into the job. They want to do that job. They know what they're doing. They're very detail oriented. Typically, they're literal. They can just focus on that task on hand, get it done. No you know, no questions asked. I mean, they just bring such strong brain power a lot of times to a situation. And they're just, just, it's just amazing what I've seen people do. I mean, I just have two people that were just hired in high level positions on the spectrum without me even interfering, just doing interview prep with them. Um, and they, they have a really good, they have really good jobs and in, in financial services. So I think wow. there's that untapped fields and a lot of people would desire those types of employees. I want to add, I agree with you, Lindsay, broad strokes. I think, you know, there's an old saying, if you know one person on the autism spectrum, you know one person on the autism spectrum. I, I think some of the broad strokes I agree with, but everybody's very much individual and you're going to find different levels of motivation under any umbrella too. Uh, I think one of the things you pointed out, Lindsay, is uh, the very literal side of things. I agree completely. I find that that's very common in dealing with autism. And I, for one, learned dealing with that population, how many figures of speech I use and how much we say that is not literal right. until you have somebody looking at you like you make no sense because what you're saying isn't real. I had a, an example. I had a gentleman was looking for a further opportunity at his employer and his job coach was working with him and said, you know, we'll talk about it later on. We'll, we'll deal with this down the road. And the gentleman would ask him every single time, are we going to talk about it today? Are we going to talk about it today? I was supervising the job coach at the time. And I said to him, don't say down the road. Down the road means nothing. Tell him, I will call you on June 23rd at two o'clock. That was, you know, three months later. I said, now make sure you call him on June 23rd at three o'clock. He told the individual this. The individual did not ask him again for the next three months. 
because on June 23rd at three o'clock, that's when they dealt with it. And it was such a simple fix. But some people think in concrete terms, it's just different types of mindsets. And I think it's crucial to accept people's mindset. And again, talk about an easy fix. Just right. let somebody know a date. That's it. Well, and that I think is a really good um, suggestion for any employee. Any employee would want to know a date and a time, but yeah. it, you're right. It, there's little easy, easy things they can tweak about the way they manage. Do you find that that's the case, Lindsay, when you kind of go in and you help these employers, you help the employees that there's so many things that are just such an easy change they can make that they don't even realize it? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of um, employees that are highly, like Tim said, everyone is individual. So I have people on the autism spectrum that need more on-site coaching. And that's a lot easier for me to go into the employer as a job coach and talk with them about, you know, ways to strategize with that client. However, if they're not disclosed, so say, for an example, I have someone with high functioning autism or, or high functioning Asperger's, and they have master's degrees or college degrees, a lot of the assistance I do provide is like motivational speaking, coaching. Um, and then I advocate to the employer about, you know, maybe any, all of their talents and then any, um, you know, maybe some things that I have noticed. So if someone tends to pause a long time before they, they talk, then I can tell the employer they're just think um, this person is, is just thinking they have, they have an answer crafted out. They like to take some time and process in their brain first. And, you know, it's really hit or miss, unfortunately, with employers for some, for some of my clients to get to pass that second interview. So right now we could use a lot more, a lot more employers being open and working with, uh, individuals in the workplace with different abilities is like what, what I like to say, um, because it is really hit or miss on what employer is going to work with us and what, it, what employer is, you know, not going to. And I just want to piggyback on that a little bit. Lindsay, you talked about the uh, disclosure, right? I think it's important for employers to know an employee can disclose at any time, right? There's a, well, why didn't you tell me that beforehand? Why didn't you tell me that when you interviewed? Right. Because you probably weren't going to hire them if they told you that. And we both know that. And I think that that is something that people think they have this right to know. I think employers also oftentimes overestimate what they have the right to know. If somebody requests an accommodation, you are entitled to know what that accommodation is. You are entitled to a doctor's note stating that this accommodation is necessary. That does not give you carte blanche to ask the person all of their medical history or anything specific. And for goodness sakes, don't ever ask somebody, so what's wrong with you? What's wrong with them? Because right. it's incredibly insulting and demeaning. And I think, listen, we all have something wrong with us. Uh, nobody gets to ask me that. And therefore nobody gets to ask somebody with a disability. That. And, and I agree with you, Tim. That is a question that a lot of times when I, I feel a lot of calls for my clients, I typically use my phone number. So I have about hundreds of different supermarkets or whatever places calling me because if a client is too nervous to answer the phone, or if I like to advocate beforehand, um, they say, well, what's wrong with that person? And I say that, you know, that's not an appropriate question to ask. There's nothing wrong with the person. And if the client allows me and wants me to disclose their different ability, then I, I do that. Um, but it is sad that sometimes that is still a question asked. 
Oh, often, uh, all the time, because I've had that asked to me multiple times, and it is, you know, frankly, it's just really none of their business. But um, it, at the same time, I personally always found that it's a little bit better to disclose because it helps the employer understand, but not everyone is comfortable. But I do always, I have always disclosed after being hired for that very reason that I'm scared that I won't be hired. And, and I think that that kind of brings us to, I kind of want to touch on the fact that we, we discussed this, that schools, I think have done a great job at integrating children or students with disabilities with students who may not have disabilities, yet when they graduate and they move into the workplace, that is not as, it's not done quite as well, if, if it's even done at all in most workplaces. So it is a hard transition. How do you help, how do you suggest to employers changing that? Or, you know, how do we help with making that transition smoother? Because they're going from an environment where they're very much included and accepted and they're not cut out of any specific groups or activities. And then they move into the work field and, and they are, unfortunately. I think that it's, it's a huge, it's a huge conversation, Corey. I agree with you. I think that in schools, students are, like you said, they're, they are given, a lot of our students are given uh, internships at different places. So, and it's, it's a shadowed internship. So there's a job coach with them at all times. They're doing specific tasks. They're automatically getting that job um, regardless of an interview, but it's important during our first initial meeting with the student and typically their families that we kind of tell them that the goal of our our company and our agency and the workforce in general is to integrate you into competitive employment. In competitive employment, we're not putting you into a position. We're teaching you the ways to interview and get, get the job. And then we have to teach the employers how to work, if, if, how to work with um, the individual. And it's, it's different. It's a very big learning process. And it is kind of a sad situation too. Like you said, in school, they're socially connected. There is also a need off topic for a lot of our clients and people to have some social um, interaction, some social, you know, ways that they can get out and be with people and be, make friends. So I think that's another important aspect and piece of that. But all, as well as the pre ets program that we also offer. So it's helping them while they're also in high school to find jobs and to prepare them for the job world. So it's really important for us to come in while they're in high school to get them used to what it's gonna be like when they get out. I also know one of my big experiences when I was working with people who were, I used to get a ton of people who just graduated high school and I deal with the families a lot. And I think one of the crucial things that would often happen is when you just graduate high school, you are getting an entry-level job. Yes. When you've never worked a day in your life, that first job is not, you're not going to be CEO. You're not going to design video games. This is not what you do upon graduating high school, unless you have a, a relative or close friend who puts you in a very good opportunity. And I think one of the things that I worked with people closely on, you know, you tell somebody, maybe we can get a job pushing carts at the supermarket. And I would have a parent tell me, well, my child's not going to push carts for the rest of their life. And my answer was, no, not for the rest of their life, but you got to start somewhere. And I, I would tell people, 
I worked maintenance for five years. I cleaned bathrooms. I swept parking lots. I took out garbages. I'm not asking you to do something that I didn't do. I'm not selling you short because you have a disability. When you have no work experience whatsoever, you do not get to skip the first few levels. It doesn't matter who you are. And again, unless you're somebody who has an entitled opportunity, most of us have to start somewhere and establish a work history and figure out what you want long-term and what the path to your long-term goal is. You want to be CEO, that's fine, but you can't do it your first year out of high school. You need to figure out what you're doing, where the opportunities are. Some of the grocery stores offer tuition reimbursement. And it was hard to convince people that putting groceries on the shelves could help you lead to that degree that turns you into a successful business person. Because it just seemed like all they heard is, you want me to put groceries on the shelves? Well, there are opportunities everywhere. I, I know like some of the fast food places, you know, their CEO started off cooking French fries. Everybody's got to start somewhere. And I think that understanding that the fact that we want you to start at the bottom is not based on a disability. It's based on work history. A lot of our individuals understood that, but I had a good number that didn't. I also had a good number of parents who would say that's beneath my child. There's nothing wrong with an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. And when you haven't done anything, you got to start somewhere. And that is not selling anybody short. That's something I would expect disability or not. Right. And, and we actually had someone as, as, as car department manager at um, a, a larger store in the area. And one thing that we do do, um, Tim knows, is that once we have someone on the job and they're stable for a while, we can actually send them back to the Division of Vocational Rehabilitation and they can apply for training grants to the state where they can find an in-demand job. And then once they get that training, say they want to be an HVAC technician, well, we can help them find that job or an apprenticeship or an internship. We can do all of those things to help them guide them through their, their entire life pretty much. I mean, we're, we're there until they say no more. <laughs> they have yep. to kind of push us so sometimes. And I think even at the current employer, I think one of the things that people, employers need to be aware of as well is I know people, Lindsay, I know you're a great advocate for this kind of stuff. I know one of the things that's crucial is somebody starts their career pushing carts. Well, after they've shown they're successful at that for a while, there's a tendency for employers to think, well, they should be happy just doing what they're doing and forget that a lot of people want to advance. Some people may be happy pushing carts the rest of their life, and that's fine. But a lot of people get pigeonholed very early on in their career. And I think this is what the parents fear a little bit. Once you're good at pushing carts, once you're good at stocking the shelves, well, that's all they do. They, they like that. Maybe they do, but did you ask them before you decided it? And I think that nobody wants to have their career path chosen. Everybody wants to be included. And sometimes you have to remind an employer, the fact that they are successful at step one does not mean they want to stay at step one. That's, that might be something on their way to a, a further journey. Absolutely. And that you brought a good point that a lot of these, a lot of companies have started to implement the requirement of moving up in their company. Like I know, for example, like Chick-fil-A won't even allow you to be an owner of a location unless you have worked there for X amount of years and moved up within their um, company starting at ground zero. 
and I and I think that's great. I think McDonald's also has started doing that as well, where you can't just jump right in as a manager. You have to jump in and be the cashier and then work your way up and then you can own a franchise. So I, I do think that's a good example showing that, you know, everyone is equal in the sense that they do need to start at the very bottom and work their way up. I guess bottom is not the right word, but starting entry level. And, and I don't think, I do think you're right, Tim and Lindsay, that I, I feel that a lot of times parents and people who have disabilities will sometimes feel like they're being asked to start at that entry level because they have a disability. And that's not really the case. It's to learn how to be successful. But I do, I I mean, I think that kind of leads us to why there are some businesses that have been started and and owned and run by people with disabilities because they did have the struggle in finding a job and finding a place that would allow them to be successful and grow with the company. I mean, after someone is stuck in the same position for so long, that is what pushes them out. And some of them have been pushed out and led to starting their own business. So you want to talk a little bit about these businesses that are run by uh, run by people with disabilities? Sure. Um, I think it's a great thing that there are people that make make their own companies um, that are run by people with disabilities. I know there's one that opened up, I think, in Chatham. I think if it's a bakery or cafe and all of the kids employed there are from a school, I think it's called ECLC. I'm not positive, but I think it's wonderful that, that people have the opportunity to do that. And I remember when I was younger, I was in Vermont and I went to a restaurant and it was all run and cooked staffed by people with on people with down syndrome and it was very interesting it was really cool and it was it was just a great thing unfortunately not everyone has the funds or the means to do that um, so i think they are great and phenomenal um, but it's not everybody that can do that but i have been hearing a lot of tech companies out in California that will only hire people on the autism spectrum, which I think that's phenomenal. I think a lot of companies should start doing that, um, not only for people on the autism spectrum, but just in general, hiring people with different skill sets. I also think that when you talk about people either starting their company or at a very high up position in their company with disabilities, it comes back to the invisible disabilities. Mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of people a lot of names we know of very famous executives with very large companies were probably somewhere on the disability chart because a lot of Americans are. I mean, a lot of a lot of Americans, a lot of people are. And we don't know. I think we'd be surprised to know some of the people who have achieved so much more than the vast majority of the world's population who have done it. I don't want to say in spite of a disability, but we've done it because of a disability that that has been, I forget the young lady's name, the, the one who goes to all the government functions. Temple Grandin? No, um, also a great example, but the one who's very focused on the environmental issues, she's spoken to a few oh. presidents, she's spoken at the UN. I know um, who you're talking about. I can't think of her name offhand, but she stated that autism was her superpower. And she has gained a ton of momentum. Was it Greta? Greta. Greta Thunberg. Thunberg. You know, she stated that autism was her superpower. And she, you can tell there's no phoniness to her. She says what she thinks because it means that much to her. 
And there's an honesty there that I think puts her, unlike everybody else who's talking at a political meeting, you actually believe her. And I think that's crucial. I think that's something where, you know, people say in spite, oh, she endured, she overcame. And she's saying it's my superpower. And I think that's a way of looking at things. And I think there are a lot of people who have achieved a lot that you don't realize. Truth is we don't realize what anybody's going through. We don't know most of the details of people's physical, mental, and emotional health. And we don't know what anybody's overcome and what anybody has on their side for the most part. And I think there's a lot more of it than we see. There's a lot of people who we think we know who are not disabled. They're disabled. And there's also a sad fact that I, I went to a seminar at one point and they were talking about disabilities and they referred to those people without disabled disabilities as temporarily abled. And it was, a, <laughs> it was a little bit of a sad thought, but it does kind of remind you a lot of disabilities are not disabilities people were born with. There are a lot of people who lose mobility, lose vision, lose hearing throughout the years. And we're all an injury or an illness away from being in this situation. And we all have our strengths and our experiences. And I think that I do believe in karma. I believe the way you treat other people does come back to you. And I, I dealt, one of the demographics I dealt with that was very sobering was the Traumatic Brain Injury Association. We dealt with some people with traumatic brain injuries. And it reminds you that these are people who are, you know, those people, another term I hate, that these were people who were exactly like us and just had a bad day, just had a car crash or I met a couple people had motorcycle crashes and everything changes in a hurry and your abilities change in a hurry and what you achieve a change, what you can achieve can change, but it also depends on what you're willing to overcome and how you're willing to utilize your new experiences. Right. We work a lot with veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder. That's tough. I mean, it's tough. And in some people, they have been in comas for eight months or they were pronounced dead and came back to life. And, you know, they had these giant careers, maybe even CEOs that we've worked with that have to start, unfortunately, you know, entry level again, based upon their skills, unless we can carve out a job for them, which we'd like to do as well. Um, but it's, it's, it's a sobering experience like Tim had mentioned. And I love that what you said is that we're all temporarily abled. I love that. I've never heard that before. That's very interesting. And I think that's so true and it re can relate to, you know, anyone, you know, knowing that that's just unfortunately the way it is. <laughs> it is. And, you know, one thing I want to ask you too is, I think this is where a lot of employers struggle is, yes, they should be educated on different disabilities and being educated is how they help make accommodations that are necessary. But at the same time, how can you know what to educate yourself on if you also can't really ask the employees or the person you might be hiring, you know, what is specific, you can't ask them what's wrong with them or what, what condition they have. But for me, for myself, you know, if I didn't know anything about autism, how would I know to educate myself on autism? Because I wouldn't have a way to know that I'm I'm have someone I might need to accommodate without asking them. 
that make sense? So, no, what, so how do you, yeah, what's your suggestion for employers in that situation? How do they know what to educate themselves on? It's a tricky question. If you don't know you have somebody on the spectrum in your staff, then you're not necessarily going to know that that's something you need to go out and learn about. Uh, I think that if somebody does disclose or does tell you something, that gives you a little bit of an idea of some research you should do. I would say, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning, I'm no longer working in disability services. I'm working for a construction company. I think what you want to do is ask your employee how they're doing, regardless of who they are. Know a little bit of how are things going? How you how you getting along with your coworkers? How do you like it here? And just try to talk to people, and you'll find that as as you get to build a relationship with people, they're going to often tell you. Again, it may not be related to disability specifically, but as people start telling you what they're comfortable with and what they're not comfortable with in the workplace, you're going to start to see different factors. You're going to start to see what makes people comfortable, what makes people uncomfortable. People may choose to disclose more to you if they feel comfortable with you, but if they do, they do. If they don't, they don't. You want to be careful. If somebody does tell you information, what are you going to do with that information? Are you going to use it as an opportunity to educate yourself? Well, that's wonderful. But you're not going to change. You don't want to completely change the way you see somebody based on what they disclose to you. You don't want to change their career path. You can discuss a career path, but again, you want to make sure that you're making decisions with somebody, not for them. And in general, I think just get to know the people you work with and then don't worry if there's a disability. If you get to know people and you get to know if they're happy and feeling appreciated at the job, the disability will take care of, the accommodations will take care of themselves. If it's something specific, obviously that's different. Somebody says, hey, I need an extra 15 minutes at lunch. I'll work 15 minutes later, but it helps me with anxiety. Okay, that's that's tangible. We can deal with that. But if somebody doesn't tell you that and they just tell you the stress they're having from the job, you don't need to know what else is leading to that stress. They got stressed at the job. Can we do something to help alleviate it? That's that's really the simplification in my mind. Right. And I and I totally agree with what Tim said. And that's kind of my motive motivation between my entire life and my job is that your people are your most important thing. Period. So you got to take care of your people. I think Tim actually taught me that. And that is you get your people motivated, you get your people feeling engaged, then you create a positive work environment one that people feel comfortable, there's less stress. It's just your, your people are your most important thing no matter what. Um, employer, like Tim said, specific things that employees may need, like say if um, I have someone that does not like being around crowds. So we're gonna find a job for that person that may be in the back room of a store, moving boxes, putting, doing warehouses, or maybe someone needs to wear uh, noise canceling earbuds. So we'll work with the employee employer to, to speak with them about the different triggers that an in, in person may experience, but treating them like they would treat anybody else, but just you know offering them some comfort in the environment while they're producing at, at the same level you'd expect them to, or anybody. Do you think that it would be okay if an employer wanted to do some sort of anonymous like feedback form to ask employees if there was a disability they would like the employer to be more educated on without disclosing that they have they have it or who has it, but just a suggest a suggested um, 
specific disability they should educate themselves on? It's a good question. Yeah. Um, I think that would be important. I think that that could be something that I could see happening in the future in different employers. Um, there's just more disabilities being identified each day, which is unfortunate, but it is the case and, you know, new ones that are coming out. And I think that uh, it's, especially with COVID and the pandemic, a lot of mental illness is, is really coming to life. And as, as unfortunate as it may be, it, and, you know, people being laid off or losing their careers after 55, there's just going to be a lot of different things that are going to be surfacing. And we want to be there prepared to, to tackle that. And I think that that survey could be important. See it going one of two ways. Um, I think it could be helpful. Probably depends on the size of the organization. I think what you want to be careful of if you ask a question, are you prepared to act on the answer? And I think you know if you have a smaller employee size, what you don't want is a couple of executives sitting around going. So who do you think it is that has diabetes? And who do you think it is that has bipolar disorder? You want to be careful that you're asking a question with the intention of doing something with the information you're getting. Right. I, I'm always a little apprehensive about anonymous surveys because you get information. And even with the best of intentions, you want to ask a follow-up question of, okay, you, you brought this to my attention. What do you recommend I do about this? This is maybe a disability I haven't heard of before. How do I handle that? I, I don't know where the resources. Right. Um, you know, one of the things in working with disabilities is you realize how many of them there are out there. You hear something and say, geez, I never heard of that. And I have no idea what it is. And I think that it's important if you're going to ask a question, you want to be prepared to deal with the answer. So I think it could be useful. I think a large employer makes anonymous feel a little more anonymous. If you have 10 people working there, it's hard to really have anonymity because even if they don't say it, people are going to speculate and speculation does no good for anybody. You're right. And our, and our company is more than prepared to um, come in and educate any employer that wants any information about a disability and, and coping mechanisms. We definitely have those tools in our wheelhouse to do that. And we are more than happy to. What do you feel about, I, I know that these, sometimes these aren't really seen as disabilities, but in a sense, they sometimes are. Like for instance, when an employee has a child and they're out for maternity leave, if the especially if they had a C-section, yeah, it's not a, I mean, I know there's some controversy. Some women don't want to say, oh, it, they're disabled or it's a disability, but they're unable to do what they were normally doing before at a hundred percent until they recover. So, I mean, would you classify that under disability or, cause I do feel like there are special accommodations that sometimes need to happen with, especially with women when they're pregnant. Like I, for example, had someone who worked a job where they were on their feet all day. And when they got to be closer to term to having the baby, it was very difficult. So they asked if they could work the front desk more than they used to. And they were, you know, told that was difficult to do, but that to me is falling under that. Let's make accommodation for someone who might have even just a temporary um, disability. Yeah. I mean, legally speaking in New Jersey, pregnancy is considered a disability. I, I find that term a little funny myself, but I understand the concept. 
I think it goes back to respecting your employee, understanding the holistic side of things. If this is somebody you value and you're asking them how you feeling, how you doing today, how are things going, and they disclose that they're having some trouble, you run into the situation of essential job functions. If you are a factory worker and the only position you have available is being on your feet all day and somebody can't be on their feet all day, you may run into an impasse. And that's what disability is out there for. That's why these programs exist. But if there's any possible way to take a valued employee and treat them right and help them get through a situation in the best way possible for everybody, I think you, you'd be foolish not to. I think that it's just very simply, again, we use the term accommodate, just treat people with respect. It's not even an accommodation. It's treat people well, give people a reason to want to stay because people remember who treats you well when you need it the most. And that goes to loyalty, retention, productivity. It's not, everybody gets caught up in the legal side of things. Well, I don't want to get sued. Put the lawsuits aside, treat people right, treat them right when they need you most. And they're going to be loyal to you. And they're, they're going to want to do the right things for you because you did the right things for them. Uh, you can drop the mic right there, Sam. I totally agree with everything you just said. That is so important. I mean, your employees are the most valuable people. And if, if there's a way to make it work, then we will make it work. And I think that everyone goes through a rough time sometimes. So it's, it's so important to make those accommodations, whether it be working, you know, three hours in the morning, maybe three hours at night, changing the hours around, making things more virtual, whatever it can be done to reta retain that person. Cause retention is definitely so important it is, is the, the best thing that you can do for everybody. Yeah. And and I'm really hoping that this pandemic brings to light that accommodations really have been and are necessary across the board for every employee, even though they seem to be directed towards employees with disabilities. I, I mean, there are, everyone needs some sort of accommodation to be happy in the workplace. And if you have employees that aren't happy, it probably means there's something that you could tweak uh, to help them be happy. And that's not happening because there's not a medical reason to do that, which is unfortunate that sometimes it's unfortunate to me that sometimes a medical reason is necessary to make an accommodation. And I, that's where I'd like for people to see that it's everyone that needs that. Yeah. I think a lot of us did some work from home during this pandemic at some point, And some of us for a very long time, and that was an accommodation. And I will say when my older son's school shut down for a while and we didn't feel comfortable putting my younger son in daycare, the ability to work from home, the ability to have that accommodation for me, it wasn't a medical accommodation. It wasn't something I had the opportunity to say, you know, here, I have a doctor's note that I need this done. My company worked for me and I really appreciate that. I appreciate getting to spend the time with my sons and it's challenging being from home. Occasionally, my three-year-old will photobomb a meeting and, <laughs> you know, we, we all do what we got to do. But the truth is, they, they did something to help keep me healthy and to help me keep, help keep me working and getting a paycheck. They could have said, either you get to the office and take the risk or you go on disability and get a fraction of your salary, your choice. Yeah. Okay. You know, but they didn't. And I think it shows that they, you know, at, at Sordoni, we want people to stay here. We want people to be here. We want to keep everybody healthy. 
it's not in our best interest to force something down somebody's throat. We've staggered the shifts. I'm in the office some days. I'm at home some days. You, you, everybody's trying to come up with the best possible plan. There is no perfect. We look at a lot of wrong options and pick the least wrong among them in this situation. But I think, you know, I've seen a lot where you treat people well when they need you. You try to do the right things. Things don't always work out. People leave. Retention doesn't always happen. But I've also seen people who we've treated well left the company and came back to us and said, you know, I, the grass wasn't greener on the other side. I left for the wrong reasons. I left for the right reasons, but I discovered I had something more than I realized. And if you leave the right way and you treat people well, there are a lot of open doors out there. I think the, I know it's so cliche to say, don't burn any bridges, but I've really seen that cliche come true so many times that I think it, it reminds you of a lot. And the other thing is even people who you don't work with, maybe they go on to be somebody who can give you work who can do something else to network with and to create opportunities. You treat everybody the same, you treat everybody well, and you'd be surprised what comes back to you. Right, and you know, also I think a lot of people don't realize it takes a while for a lot of people to learn that it's not really just the job that makes you happy, it's the employer that makes you happy. I know plenty of people even myself that have careers in an industry they never planned to never really, you know, that wasn't their plan. It wasn't an industry they were educated in. And it's truly just the management and the employers that make them enjoy that position and that company. And I think that's important for employers to remember is it's you that makes them happy, not their job title, not what their responsibilities are. Um, but before we wrap up, I know, Lindsay, I want you to touch, well, both of you touch on what is job carving, because I think that's something that is important for us to discuss on this episode and how yes. to optimize your business. Yes, I think job carving is an amazing tool that can really help a person that has very unique abilities and maybe not great customer facing, but maybe they're great at de data entry or if a company can figure out a way to streamline all of their systems into one little job task, that someone can just come in and do that one simple thing, which would save a ton of other employees the extra work, we try to find that. That's high level. So lower level would be someone coming into, let's say um, a mom and pop shop and just facing the shelves every day or a florist and just cutting the flowers each day. So it's something that we can carve out to really work with the person's ability. And I think um, Tim had mentioned a spe specific way to optimize business as a whole um, that we spoke about last time. Yeah, I think part of job carving is just finding complementary skill sets, finding maybe you have a great salesperson who hates doing their paperwork and they end up taking a bunch of their time to do data entry. You take somebody else who's happy to do that kind of work or looking for that opportunity and you free 20 hours more of a valuable salesperson to go out there and get 20% more sales, that it's a benefit for the individual, but it can also be a huge benefit for the company. I think anytime you have a team 
you want complementary skill sets. You don't want everybody doing the same thing. And, you know, in our industry and construction management, we have some people who are brilliant on a computer and other people who the computer is a necessary evil because that's the day and age we live in. And that's okay. If you're a great builder, we're going to find a spot for you. And if you're a computer guy, if we can put those people together on a job, we're going to get a little bit of everything. And I think that that's kind of the concept of job carving as well is to find a complementary skill set, to find somebody to free up perhaps somebody valuable who doesn't like a particular aspect of their job or is not adept at it and take somebody else who brings a value of what's missing. And I think that those things can work well together sometimes. And other times job carving is, you see that, as Lindsay used the example of somebody facing shelves at a mom and pop store, you see the right individual and you say, this is a person who we want to be here. This person brings the work ethic, the attitude, the personality that we want here. We don't have a spot, but if we make a spot, if we find something, we're going to be able to grow it into something more because you bring on the right person when you can. And I think that's something valuable in having the right cultural fit to your employer, no matter what it is. And that's how you find a place I feel for those employees that do have disabilities is job carving. Great. One that's good. They're one that they can be successful in. Absolutely. And Lindsay, that's kind of what you do when you help these employers, right? Is kind of find a way that they can create that job or, or responsibility. Sometimes we'll do the bait and switch. We'll get someone in the job, in the, in the door and, you know, they might be hired for, let's say a food sales associate, but they, they're, they really want to do electronics. So we kind of, we, once they're in the door, we can work with the employer a lot more to get them into that section. And it's, it's all the time we carve out positions. We, we ask, sometimes we say, can, do you want to offer this person an internship? Internship to potentially prove what they can do and then get hired. And that's been successful multiple times. Just getting that person, any experience in the resume is so life-changing for these, for our individuals or any individual in general. I agree. Uh, I know that you both mentioned the tax credit, um, the benefit of hiring candidates with disabilities. Can you explain that a little bit before we? Sure. Oh. Sure. The work opportunity tax credit is available to different targeted groups. So targeted groups are people, um, I'm, I don't have them all memorized, but um, people with disabilities, people on food stamps, welfare, unemployment, veterans, um, people who have served in different wars, so hiring um, one of these targeted groups of individuals, the company is actually doing a service to not only the person, but they're also serving to help reduce the benefits that are being given to the person by the Department of Treasury, the US Treasury. So they're given a credit of that money. So the company is actually making, a, a, getting a tax credit by hiring uh, one of these individuals. It's a simple paperwork process. Um, we guide employers and employees through it all the time. And it's it's pretty decent uh, tax credit. I think it's based upon hours worked per year. And I think that the general concept, I'm, I'm a little out of the loop in the specifics because I haven't been in the industry in a while, but the general concept is the disabled population is very underemployed in this country. Right. And the government realizes as opposed to just paying out benefits to take care of somebody, 
hey, let's give employers a little incentive to right this ship, allow people to make their own money and not have to have them on government assistance. I think this is the old teach a man to fish mentality. And it's a, it's a smart program. It really, to give somebody a little bit of gravy to say, hey, take a shot on somebody you may not otherwise have taken a shot on. In the long run, if it works out, you take a shot on somebody, the government gives you a few bucks to make it worth your while. And now that person succeeds, starts paying their own bills, starts paying their taxes like everybody else. That's money well invested from, from a government. I mean, it's a smart program. It's, it's something that just makes sense to say, put a little forward in the short term, get it back in the long term. And I think that employers who utilize it are wise. I, I don't think it's utilized as often as it should be. So if you're hiring somebody who's disclosed that there's a disability, you really might want to look into it because there is money to be had and it doesn't take away from the individual you hire. So it's not like you're hurting anybody to take advantage of it or it doesn't take away from the altruism of doing the right thing. It's just gravy. Right. And, and so many, so many of my clients, they, they just want to be off government assistance. They, there's a misconception that they, they want to be independent. They want to live on their own. They want to get married. They want all of these things. And I think, you know, by this tax credit, I do think it's a smart investment, Tim. I think it's, you're right. I'm at these people, our clients, they, they want that. They want the independence and that's such, sometimes it's the only thing in their life to, to be gainfully employed and, and employment is such, you know, such a thing that you can't even put into words. Once you have a job, you feel like you have a purpose. Right. And that purpose is such a, it's a driven purpose. So it's great work that we're all doing. I don't think that I, I mean, maybe I'm not sure, but I feel like a lot of employers probably don't even know about that tax credit that they are eligible for. A lot of smaller ones don't. Um, a lot of the larger companies and any like retail store, any any online application that you put in, they do have the word opportunity tax credit screening survey that's uh, actually sometimes mandatory to, to do. Oh. So, but yeah, I think you're right. A lot of smaller companies don't know about it. Right. But we do advocate to tell them about it because it's so important. It is. And, and it's a good, you're right. It's a good incentive to kind of help you know, give more focus to hiring people that do have disabilities, invisible or physical. Well, thank you. This was really helpful for me. So I'm sure it was really helpful for everyone else that's watching. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add before we wrap up here? I really appreciate you both putting aside the time to come on. Thanks for having us on. It's great. Great talking to you guys. And I hope to talk to you again soon. Yes. Yeah, Corey, I appreciate it. This was fun. I, I've never yeah. done this before. So it was my first podcast. I appreciate you taking your time with us. So this was a good time.